0: Hey, Welcome to Happy Place, the show where we take a deep dive into the minds of some very clever people and see if they can help us live life to the full. I'm Fern Cotton and today I'm sitting down with the
1: phenomenal Philippa Perry. The thing is, your kid is not a project that you get right or ruin. They are a person you have a relationship with. If you have young kids, know someone
0: with young kids or are just curious about how we develop into adults you're going to love this episode and her amazing book is called the book you wish your parents had read and your children would be glad that you did it's such a good book i absolutely loved it
1: one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Should we
0: get on with it? Yes. Now here's the show. to have a chat today that um, I think I really need and it's a chat that I'm certainly intrigued by because it's going to be predominantly about parenting. I don't think exclusively so because I think a lot of the things I'll be talking about today will also apply to any relationship with anyone, whether it be a partner, a work colleague, a friend, etc. But parenting, I mean... I'm a parent. I'm a step parent. It's hard. It's amazing. I love being a parent. It's bloody hard. So I think the more we can talk around this subject and look at different ways of doing it, um, the better. So let's go have a chat with Philippa Perry. Hello. Hi, Philippa. Hi. Nice to meet
1: you. I'm Fern. Hi, Fern. Can you? Thank you. Ready to take our shoes off? No. Are you sure? What we have predominantly with our children is a relationship, and any relationship is half them and half you. So if we're just going to look at, say, a child's behaviour, it's no use looking at that in isolation. Because if there's something that you don't like about the way your child's reacting or behaving, don't look at the child, look at your relationship. Mm. So that means looking at you. What are you bringing to this relationship? What assumptions are you bringing to it? What of your upbringing are you bringing to it? So that's why I want people to unpack that stuff first. Mm, and, and how was that process for you? Because I'm imagining that
0: you have been through that process yourself at some point, either when initially parenting or writing this book, even. Perhaps. I mean,
1: I'm going through it all the time. Yeah. Because you never can unpack everything. No. You know, We are layers of an onion. You know, it's difficult to peel it all back. Um, but, you know, s- self-awareness is an ongoing task, I think, for Ooh. all of us. Um, And in the book, I've just given us a few tools to help us understand what we are bringing to this relationship. Because
0: I am imagining with most people, and I can certainly recognise it in myself as a parent, but also aside from being a parent, just in everyday life, the patterns that we see our parents kind of lay upon us that they may have experienced from their parents, we do carry those and often then you know repeat that pattern again to i mean kids.
1: especially if there are things we don't want to carry and then when we're under stress we find us reverting yeah. to the familiar so Why do we
0: do that when we know that it's painful it's bizarre. because we
1: haven't got time in the moment yeah. to work it all out and mm. think right now all you know is that you're irritated yeah and you want to stop your kid running across the road so mm. you scream and grab them yeah and really what else could you do Mm. in that circumstance you know Mm. so sometimes you know those old kind of knee jerk reactions are fine but other times they're not like suppose you can't get your kid to get in the bath or once they're in the bath you can't get them to get out of the bath you might feel like smash and grab is the way you know that's what would have happened to you in that circumstance but maybe it might be interesting to try something else and how do we break those patterns is it as simple as going i know that i always
0: freak out when my kid doesn't get out of the bath and i've got to do something different and you just try it once you know how do we get into the habit of when breaking you know, those patterns
1: when you know you're stuck in a sort of like pattern that is not helping and it seems to lead to the same kind of negative situation every day what you need to do is notice when your emotion is charged Mm. Why am I so upset? Because he's splashing in the bath or something. Why am I so upset about that? What we need to do is trace back, when did I last feel this self-righteous or whatever the emotion is? And then realise, oh my goodness, this is how I habitually respond to situations. Mm. So then you realise it's not so much as what is happening in the present as this is your habitual response. It's like... It's a habit mm. because other people don't react in this way to this situation all the time, but I do. It's a habit. So when you notice something is charged, notice your habitual response and trace it back to other instances when, when you felt it. Maybe you can trace it back to when you first felt it. You might not be able to, but you might. And quite often people find things like when their kids are crying and whining and they're not happy like they should be because you've put so much effort into mm. it. Um, and you trace back your annoyance. You might find that you hated being helpless or clumsy or vulnerable when you were a child. And their behaviour is threatening you like to trigger feeling like that again Ooh. so the last thing you feel like doing is feeling with them you just want to close it down but if you go oh let's override that let's instead of closing it down I do experiment feeling how they're feeling with them and then you soften And then you find yourself on their level. And then you find yourself having a moment of connection. Then they don't have to try so hard because that's all they wanted anyway was a moment of connection. And then you go, oh, all seems to be love and harmony around here now. (laughs) But I think until we do dare to re-experience what it felt like being a child, we tend to circumnavigate that. But actually, when we do do it, it's not as bad as we thought. I've got an example in the book of um, a father called Mark who, when his kid was two, thought, I can't take this anymore, I'm out of here. But he was persuaded to try some therapy. And uh, I said to him, well, what happened to you when you were two? Nothing, perfectly normal childhood, nothing. My father left, nothing really. Oh, hang on, Alan. what was that? What was mm, that there? We wine. What, <laughs> R- what was that? My father's left. Oh, I don't mind. I mean, I had a great mum and I had a fantastic childhood and everything. But I got him to regress and actually feel what it was like when his father left, how scared he was, how angry he was, and he kind of got back into it and relived it. And he thought, he told me afterwards, that if he ever went back there, ever felt like that again, he thought he was going to smash every window in a house or or, or self-combust or do something violent or something. Because you know, he's 42 now, he's not, he's not two, he can control himself, Mm. but he felt like he was going back to being two and he wouldn't be able to. And he didn't want to run away from his child, he wanted to run away from the feelings his child threatened to trigger in him. But by sort of working it through in therapy, he realised those feelings aren't as scary now as they were then
0: and feelings is something you concentrate on a lot
1: um after
0: we've kind of looked at our own childhood you talk a lot about feelings and the fact that obviously kids encourage and often force us to deal with those difficult feelings that we might have suppressed or feelings that we don't think we're able to cope with at what point in our life do you think growing up we start to i guess culturally feel indoctrinated to start suppressing feelings because it it isn't acceptable as an adult to have a tantrum in the middle of the supermarket or to say to someone i want what you've got you know we do get conditioned to hold back you know what are deemed negative and positive
1: feelings well yeah there's sort of three ways of thinking about feelings there is Let it all hang out and become hysterical and behave inappropriately in supermarkets. Or there's button it all up. Don't feel that. I'm not feeling that. Nope, I am an adult. I don't behave like that. So we can go mad or we can go repressed. Mm. But there is a middle way which is having the feelings but containing them so knowing what you feel rather than pushing them right down and containing them and you get to do this if you can put your feelings into words the more you can put your feelings into the into words the more that you get to be the boss of them rather than them being the boss of you and does that involve talking or writing or how how would you talking writing or thinking yeah so you've got repression going mad or containing now containing is when we have all our feelings it's just that we don't let them rule us we use them a little bit like employees if you like uh, giving them our reports sort of like i can't help noticing Philippa, that you're feeling a little bit jealous of <laughs> um of fern who's got a podcast and you haven't <laughs> right so instead of smashing up all her equipment what would you like mm. to do Maybe it's telling me that I would like to have a podcast too. Yes, that's a good idea. Maybe you could have a podcast too. Mm. What I'm doing there is I'm noticing my jealousy. I'm not going to sabotage your podcast and, and uh, smash your equipment up or anything like that, <laughs> which is what I might have done when I was two. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to say, oh, this is information for me. This jealousy is telling me that I would like to have a podcast. So maybe I can have a podcast. And so that's information that empowers me, Mm. sort of inspires me, gives me an idea, rather than is a negative thing. Any emotion you might have thought as um, negative is actually good information. Now, this is particularly important when we are maybe getting Overtired of being kind and responsive to our children because we haven't had any me time and we're feeling run down and we're losing our ground a bit because we haven't had time to check in with ourselves. So when we're feeling that, it's not negative, it's like, ah, oh, this is telling me I need to put down a boundary, yeah, before I get to my limit. So your boundary might be something like, I need you lot to be in bed at eight o'clock because I want to go to bed and I can't go to bed until I've put you to bed so it's that
0: honesty and te- yeah. explaining to your kids that's what's happening and it's because I need that time and they therefore respect that yes. and your opinion if we say to kids
1: you've got to go to bed now because you're tired that don't define work. the yeah. children <clears throat> define yourself if you're tired, you don't need telling you're tired. Um, it's helping them have empathy, I guess,
0: as well. Because they're going, oh, you're in this situation too. And you have a feeling you'll experience if I don't go to bed. So it's getting them to be on board like, with that. It's
1: also giving them the example of verbalising your feelings. Yeah. So when you want to leave the playground, because you've been in the park for four hours pushing swings now, in there. And you're getting a little bit cold, even though they seem to be quite happy. They can't feel it. No, I don't know what's happening there. No. So rather than said, you've had had enough now, we're going home. They'll go, I haven't had enough. Yeah. But if you say instead... I'm cold, I'm tired, five more minutes and then we're going home and you follow through. They're actually remarkably understanding. Ooh. Define yourself and not the child is a revelation to yeah. some people. Oh, because-
0: completely. And it, and it gives them responsibility. Like it's it's their responsibility to accept what your feelings are and to act upon that and that information you've given them I I hadn't even given that a thought until I read that in your book to be honest I would usually just bribe them and go should we go and get a cross on it in a magazine and beg them to leave the park in that way but actually I have been trying to do that now I'm just being blatantly honest and putting myself into
1: the equation yeah because it's in there anyway so let's not pretend it's not oh
0: absolutely absolutely one of the things talking about feelings that the the main takeaway i had from your whole book and it's been a massive one for me is that validation of feelings because i think like many people my age and above will very much have been brought up to understand that there are certain emotions that are not acceptable or appropriate in certain situations. And also, I think we've all probably been on the receiving end of being ignored if we are kicking off about something or making a fuss because it's inappropriate, inconvenient. And, I, and that's not just my parents. I think it was across the board. Yeah. That's how we've been brought up. So if yeah. you were going, I want the chocolate bar and your mum says no, they would probably ignore you and let you just, you know. Kick off about yeah, it. And, and yeah, and let that simmer on its own over here until yeah. you get exhausted. And I've probably been doing that a bit with my own kids up until reading your book because I didn't understand the sort of potency of validating their feelings so your
1: advice is to go you're upset aren't you or to go oh I can't let you have an ice cream before lunch and you are unhappy about that sorry Mm. rather than I've told you already no ice cream before lunch Mm. you know yeah it's
0: a bizarre alchemy that works though because I've tried it with my daughter so my daughter's three my son is six And my daughter will get anxious before going to bed. So she'll usually say, oh, are there spiders? Are there there foxes in the house? You know, any imaginative creature that that could be in the house. And I used to just go, look, we're not going to worry about this anymore. They're not in the house. You've just got to lay down now. Yeah. And then I read your book and I thought, Okay, I know that's not working, so I've been doing it for over a year and yeah. it usually still takes half an hour of convincing or yeah. singing twinkle twinkle little star. So I've started to go, "You're scared, aren't you?" Yeah. And she goes,
1: "Yeah." And and then she she feels heard. Yeah, she's and understood. not alone. She's not alone in so it. So immediately, it's sort of less scary. Mm. There's a lovely story that somebody told me in the book of a little boy who would just wake up and start to scream. Hell just scream. Yeah. And he'd run into his parents' bedroom and, and go, ah! and just scream. And when they started to say what was wrong, sort of like, you sound lonely. Are you lonely? Yes, I'm lonely and I need a cuddle. So... This went on for a bit. And so he stopped screaming. He could say, I'm lonely, I need a cuddle. So, oh, this is getting better. Mm. And then he'd come into their room in the morning and go, I'm lonely and I need a cuddle. And she said, uh, You don't sound lonely. <laughs> you sound quite happy. <laughs> oh, yes, I'm happy, but I still want a cuddle. You can have a cuddle. You don't have to feel bad to have a cuddle. Mm. So, this happened in about four days. He went from screaming. And then being able to put that scream into words yeah. and then the words transforms the feeling. Mm. Now, we might think like when our kid says to us, there's monsters under the bed. No, there aren't. I've just checked. There's just a pair of bedroom slippers. Go to sleep. That's, I mean, that's really we'll natural. It. Yeah. That's really natural. But what we've got to do is hear the feeling. So it's like you said, oh, that sounds scary. Mm. Can you tell me about the monsters? What are their names? Mm. Let's make up a story about them. Because what they're actually saying is, I'm lonely, I, I'm not ready to let go of you yet. Yeah. So if we put that into words, you sound lonely, you don't want to let me go, it immediately makes them feel better because now they know what's wrong. Mm. Don't you know yourself if you, go, you, you say to your partner, oh, I've got this free-floating anxiety, I don't know what it is, and he'll say... Uh, you know, that's because um, of, you know, we've got those awkward people coming round later in the week (laughs) or something like that. And you go, oh yeah, I knew it was that. Oh, thanks. And you feel immediately (laughs) like you can hold it and contain it and you know what it is. Well, you know, children just want us to do that for Mm. them too. And like you say, there can be quite
0: quick changes in behavioural patterns, like with that kid being scared and lonely at night because they feel heard and it instantly it has a they're not
1: alone with the feeling anymore yeah, so exactly. that's why it's sort of like oh i'm all right now but no, i think so
0: many people are scared to do it because they feel they're going to exasperate the situation yeah. i think many people and i probably initially felt it i thought if i said to my daughter you're scared aren't you it would it would heighten it yeah. and she'd go oh god i am scared what if i'm going to be scared forever at night and i thought i was going to you know, just completely exasperate the whole yeah. problem, but it weirdly didn't. Why is that? Is it just because they... Well, f- think about when
1: it happens to you. Yeah. When you say something like, I fell over and hurt my knee and your partner has two ways of responding to it, he could say, oh, I bet that hurt. Mm, mm. Or he can go, oh, come on, it's only a little bruise. don't make a yeah, fuss. Yeah. Which one are you going to feel better mm. with? The one that went with your feeling or the one that denied it? Mm. And this doesn't just exclusively work for parenting I think this goes for work
0: relationships friendships marriage hearing somebody properly and listening we all need to be heard yeah yeah honestly that for me has been A game changer, Philippa. Like, it really has.
1: And we don't often, sometimes we're not very articulate. I mean, even poets have difficulty putting their feelings into words. And so sometimes you might have spent the day before at a theme park with your kid. And then the next day they come up to you and say, we never go out because they're in the present Mm. they're in the right now and they don't know how to express themselves lately and it's a saint who doesn't say but we went to lego land yesterday Mm. but instead if you stay in the present with them and say something like you sound a bit bored and fed up what would you like to do and then they'd go i want to go back to lego land again and then you can say yeah that was fun wasn't it then you have that moment of connection yeah yeah it's not that we're going to go to Legoland every day. They're not stupid. Yeah. They know that. They know it doesn't work like yeah. that. They're just having feelings about it. And this is also about long-term relationships.
0: This is not just it works in the now so you can get a good night's sleep or whatever. This is so when you have a grown-up child like you do now, a yeah. daughter in her 20s, that you that she still knows she can come to you and yeah. say, Mum, this is how I'm feeling. And you're not going to poo-poo it and go, oh, Get over it or whatever. You Because she knows from being a small child you've reacted by hearing her, she'll come to you now. And I think there's a lot to be said for that, that we concentrate so much on when they're little and making our lives easier.
1: But the relationship you have now, I'm imagining, with your daughter is pretty good it is pretty good and it's a long-term relationship Mm. it's not just about let's fix this now yeah it's long term so for instance if they say something which is blatantly you could fix it in a second for them they might say I don't want to go around there because I don't like the sausages we can just say well just leave the sausages then you know we can get a bit irritated but if we say hmm that sounds like a problem what could you do about the sausages Mm. And they go, I suppose I could ask to leave them. And you go, that's a good idea. Mm. And they've sort of fixed it themselves. Mm. They feel empowered and they felt good about coming to you. Now, the reason why that's important is because those sausages are filed under in their mind something icky. Now, suppose also filed under something icky is uh, the piano teacher puts his hand on my leg and I don't like it. And we really want that information, Oh, yeah, we want that information, but if they 're so used to being told not to be silly, we might not get that information' Ooh, it's so true, and we think oh, there's a world of difference between some uh, some off sausages and someone groping your leg, but for the child, there isn 't they haven 't got your experience of sexuality, they don 't know how the world works. They just have an instinct and a feeling. And before when they've had those instincts and feelings, we've told them not to be silly. Mm. So it's really important never to tell a child not to be foolish or not to be silly, but to listen to what they're saying and validate the feeling so that their instincts remain intact. So when there are in real danger, they'll know. Yeah. And they'll know who to come to to talk about it as well.
0: And often our reaction, if it is to say, oh, don't be silly, just leave the sausages, I think part of it also is not just to make our lives easier, but because we're scared of them experiencing something negative. We don't want to see our kids suffer. We want them to be happy. We want them to be happy. So we just try and go, no, 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 no. Don't worry about the sausages and move on. But
1: it's really important they
0: experience... Bad stuff and pain. Well, they will will anyway. Exactly. We
1: can't help that. They will anyway. If something has got the power to make you happy, it will also have the power to make you sad. Mm. Whether it's the batteries running flat on your Game Boy or your best friend moving away or whatever it is. So life is full of sadness as well as happiness. But we're so keen on our kids being happy all the time that we tend to try and scold them sometimes into happiness and that really doesn't work. What we want to aim for is to develop a capacity for happiness and we do that by accepting all of a kid's feelings, not just the convenient ones.
0: So how do we get that balance? Because I I feel very torn with that one a lot of the time. If my kid, uh, say my son, comes back from school and something's happened that he wasn't happy about, I I do want to kind of either push it away and and try and go, no, 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 don't worry about that, or I want to immediately solve it and, you know, whatever. But how do we sort of sit in that pain and let them experience the bad stuff and feel like we're still protecting them and doing our jobs?
1: Well, the thing is just to be with them, be alongside them. Instead of going, oh, that doesn't matter, say instead, tell me a bit more about that. Then how did you feel? And then maybe when you feel like you've really unpacked it, you can say... So what ideas have you got to fix it, if you want to fix it? Or how are you going to make this more bearable for yourself? Not, just don't play with them, play with someone else. Yeah. Don't give them that advice. Yeah. But if they come to that advice themselves, they'll embody it mm-hmm. and they'll be able to follow it. And it's it's usually something like, don't bother with Joey anymore. Go and play with Ahmed. You know, it's it's usually something pretty simple Mm. but if they get there themselves they'll embody it it's like if you go and see a counsellor they'll never say hmm leave your husband yeah so true what they'll do is they'll let you figure it out Mm. and be a sounding board so that you have the courage to go you know what I think I'd do better if I left him Mm. and then the counsellor will go oh thank the lord yeah
0: (laughs) and all of us i guess accepting whether you're a parent or not that pain is essential like that is something that we all have to go through to grow to perhaps go more within and figure out how we work and life to work out who to play with yeah
1: yeah okay so i'm gonna play with people that don't give me so much pain in future mm. but until we played with people that 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 make our lives miserable we think oh hang on mm. you know we have to get through it we have to learn
0: because you um quoted a psychoanalyst adam phillips who says the demand that we be happy undermines our lives and that's perhaps where many of us are going wrong because yeah. we just think that the holy grail is ultimate happiness where there is no pain which is of course unrealistic but also not good for us
1: and if we push it away and and pretend it's not happening we don't learn how to cope with it Hmm. and if we don't learn how to cope with not being played with in the playground when we're five we're not going to learn to cope with it when we get older as well and then we might fall into mental health difficulties because we're panicking when we're feeling emotions we've been taught to think of as negative, rather than things that we can contain and work through. Mm. When you're ready to pop the question,
0: the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase.
1: BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
0: There's um, a personal anecdote that you put in the book about when you are walking down the street with your daughter when she's small and you've got those shopping bags, and you want to get home, but she wants to sit and look at ladybirds on the pavement. So you go with that, and you go, although your initial reaction might have been, I really could do without this right now, yeah. you go down to her level, you have that moment with her, you notice that she's tired, so you sort of hear her in that way, you understand yeah. that she doesn't want to keep on walking, and then an A guy comes over to you and he says...
1: Is she winning? Mm. Yeah, this old man, very sweet old man, probably thought he was supporting me as a parent. He probably watched the whole thing of me going down the road at a snail's pace and then her plopping herself down on a step. And he probably saw me go... (sighs) Because I had to change my plans in that moment. If I see the situation from her point of view, she's like two years old, she's only just learnt to walk, She's been to the shops. She hasn't got a way of just focusing on one thing. So she's probably been very overstimulated by all the lights, all the people, you know, having to cross the roads and hold hand and well, it's all been very difficult. And she's just maybe overstimulated and exhausted and needs to focus on one thing, the ladybirds. And so if I realise that in the moment, I can go, oh, I can be flexible about my plans of waiting till we got home before we rest. And I can just be with her now. So um, I think if we start to see things in terms of winning and losing, Mm. we've already lost because we're both on the same side. Does that work in all situations? Because some people
0: might think well how does our kid learn to hear the word no which they inevitably will later on in life they're not always going to get to stop and look at the ladybirds but at that
1: moment that's all she's that's all she's capable of so is it a bespoke situation that you would you would use that message. if if i said come on when you know she's two she'd be completely overwhelmed she would have had a tantrum so sometimes you have to just go with what's happening yeah. in the now. And then when she'd finished looking at the ladybird, then we carried on with our, yeah. the, our journey. To behave well, we need certain things in place. And they are flexibility, problem-solving skills, and a tolerance for frustration. Now, I think I behaved terribly well there because I tolerated mm. my frustration of having to stop. I was flexible about my plans and I problem solved by thinking well once she's had a rest then she'll be able to walk on again and it all went well now our children learn those three things from watching us do that they learn flexibility they learn tolerance for frustration and they also learn if they've been looked after in that empathetic way they also also pick up empathy as well. Mm. So that's another thing that's quite useful in behaving conveniently Mm. is having empathy. Now, we all learn these skills at different times. Um, My daughter learned them quite quickly. So by the time she got to being about four, for instance, if she wanted to stop on the step, I would have said, oh, I see you want to stop on the step. Okay, can we just stop on the step for one minute because I really need to get home because I want to let go of these bags. And she'd have gone, oh, it's okay. Mm. You know, so we sort of negotiate and collaborate. But again, it's that honesty that's integral. Yeah. Yeah. Telling them that your plan
0: is this, so... And you've explained it to them and they have a choice whether to say yes or no. And sometimes
1: I'm really, really firm. Like, um, if we have to be somewhere, I'll say, in three minutes, we are leaving the house. Um, And then two minutes, we're leaving the house. One minute, we're leaving the house. And then, when she was very little, I'd pick her up and go. Mm. And she might go, I don't want to leave the house. And i go, I know you don't want to leave the house. It's a shame, but we're leaving the house anyway. (laughs) So I'd... um, Physically, when I was able always follow through on on what was going to happen, yeah, what I said was going to happen was going to happen, but you've communicated what 's going to happen yeah. There's no surprise communicate there. no I don't, no surprise, lots of respect communicated what 's going to happen, and then it happens and then when she got far too big for me to pick her up, when I said we 're leaving in three minutes, she sort of got, oh, sort of knew we were going, and I just thought, does she know i can 't pick her up anymore. <laughs> 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 it seems to be working. <laughs> anyway, um, so lots and lots of communication. Keep mm. talking and talking and talking. And kids don't actually want to play the winning and losing game unless they learn it from you. Kids want you to be their friend. They want a, a great relationship with you.
0: Mm, absolutely. With behaviour, if they're kicking off about things, um, having a tantrum... Let's just call that inconvenient behaviour. Inconvenient behaviour, behavior. Yeah. Um, which is inevitable with all young kids. You know, we, I guess and we have some to... some adults. Yes, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have to, I guess, have the acceptance around that. Like I was listening to Urquhart Tolley talk about parenting recently on a podcast and he was saying... For all of us, so our kids kicking off, it brings up anxiety, which might be connected to, like you said, our past or whatever. But it feels horrible because they're freaking out. You don't want them to. You don't want them to be upset or whatever it is. But we have to find the space to let them do it within ourselves. So we have to sit and go... We haven't really got much
1: choice. We haven't. Because they actually don't have a choice about having a tantrum. If you watch a little tiny kid having a tantrum... Nobody would choose to feel that bad. No, They feel absolutely terrible and they haven't got a choice, even though we probably would have if we were kicking off like that, whether to carry on or not, because we've got a little bit more control. They haven't got a choice. And a kid will come across things that won't go their way. And until they develop this tolerance for frustration, kicking off might be how they respond to it. So what they need in that moment is understanding, sort mm. of like... Yes, you want to swim with the penguins. I'm sorry, you know. <laughs> We've <laughs> all wanted to swim with the penguins. Yeah, of course <laughs> we have. Or or fly to the moon or yeah. even have an ice cream before lunch or whatever it is. And sometimes they, when they kick off, they, they get so flooded with it. They've, they've even forgotten what they're kicking off oh, about. my son
0: does that all the time.
1: So we don't know what they're kicking off yeah. about or, or anything. So what we can do is just be with them and maybe hold them, be on their level and not tell them off for feeling mm. so dreadful. I mean, they don't need two things to cry about.
0: No, it's, it's it's so true. Some people, and I know that you mentioned this in your book, might think, oh, I don't want to be a walkover. I don't want my kids to be able to walk all over me. What's the difference between you allowing them to do that and have that space to kick off, slash
1: sort of having boundaries and them knowing, you know, h- how to behave? Or- okay, kids do need boundaries, okay, Um, But when a kid hasn't got a choice, like they're two-year-olds and they're they're having a tantrum, they haven't got a choice about it. Suppose they're six years old and having a bit of a tantrum. I'm not going to do my homework. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Or whatever it is. You can say, yeah, you are finding it hard doing your homework. I know. I'll come and sit next to you while you do it so you won't feel lonely doing it. Or what would make it easier for you to do it? Because it's got to be done. Mm. How can I help you with that? And things like you might get fed up with how untidy their room is or something. And so you define the problem by defining yourself, not them. So I have a problem with your room being so untidy. Can you help me work out what we're going to do about mm. this? And they might say, "I think you should just put up with it." And you go, "Well, that seems like a very good solution for you, but it wouldn't work for me." Mm. Have you got any more ideas? So it's taking responsibility for your and you might part think, in it. Oh my god, this takes so long! But bringing up kids takes a long time. Well, it's anyway. hard work. It just is. It's a really long time. So put the time in positively at the beginning, rather than negatively later on. Mm. So, for instance, with my kid, when she she could put away toys in the basket that was no problem but she found folding clothes difficult so she said I can't fold clothes I said okay put the toys away and when you get to the folding clothes stage come and find me and we'll work out ways to do it together Mm. and the point is really not to have a tidy room the point is to learn how to collaborate
0: what is the difference for people out there who might have a kid that Constantly tantrums, for instance, or has a real specific uh, freak out about the same thing again and again. When do we know that this is just to be expected versus when we should reach out for professional help with situations?
1: I think if you feel out of your depths, reach out. I mean, mm. there's no harm in reaching out. You yeah. go to your GP, they can find you um, someone to talk to, a midwife if it's a very young baby or some sort of other worker that's a bit older that can just help you, a child psychologist or someone that can just help you with how not to panic and how to be in these situations. These things that we have to learn, the tolerance for frustration, the flexibility and the seeing things from others' point of view, we all pick them up at different stages. Mm. Some people don't pick them up till late. I didn't learn to read until I was nine. Other people don't learn a tolerance for frustration frustration until they're 15 Mm. you know it's all it's all it's it's not a race you just learn the skills at different times and we can get help at any time. Mm. When I was reading your book and I was going through this
0: sort of brilliant roller coaster of feeling different things I think most readers will feel the same they'll feel relieved at times they'll feel massively inspired certainly helped out that there'll be some Game-changing takeaways, but also regret. At some point, I think everybody would go, "God, I, I wish I hadn't done that." Or, I mean, every parent feels like that. We've acted in a way we wish we hadn't because yeah. we haven't thought about that moment or or the kid in that way. We've reacted, and it's been, you know, very instinctive, and we've gone with it, and we've been angry or whatever it is. How do we stop from completely beating ourselves up if we feel like we have fucked
1: up in the past? Well, we all mess up. And the thing is, your kid is not a project that you get right or ruin. They are a person you have a relationship with. That's so important that you've just said that, by
0: the way, because yeah. I think most people feel a bit of pressure on that. They, are, they have to raise the ideal kid mm. who eats kale and is brilliant at karate and is an A-star student and whatever. And I think that's such a huge problem for so many people. They're not a sculpture. They're a person.
1: And don't think in terms of, I've ruined them because they're growing human beings and we can all be flexible and we can all change. And the thing is, we will have made some mistakes. And we can say to a 10 year old, you know, when you used to have tantrums when you were three and I just used to lock you up in the attic and wait until it would all quieten down and I left you on your own. I really shouldn't have done that. Mm. I'm sorry. I just didn't know what else to do. So is it never too late to have that moment? It's never too late to have that moment because although the 10 year old might not remember that time. They might suddenly start to feel a bit better about themselves. Mm. I mean, a parent can say at any time to the kid, it's not you, it's me, Mm -hmm. or my bad. And once a parent said to me, but don't our kids always need us to be right? Otherwise they won't feel secure. I think, no, they need us to be authentic. Otherwise we are in danger of modifying their instincts, which are perfectly good. Mm, I completely agree because I've... For all the things that I might have done wrong,
0: I have always been pretty good with if I've shouted at my kids or I've done something that I regret, I have quite instantly said sorry. And now if my kids do have a tantrum or whatever, at some point they will come to me and go, mum, I'm really
1: sorry. The great thing is when they pick up how to apologise from us, apologies aren't this very painful thing that's difficult to force out because they're not all shrouded in shame and humiliation Mm. this is not about humiliating yourself when you go my bad I shouldn't have done that Mm. I remember when my daughter was four and she said sorry to me for the first time it was absolutely amazing she Mm. said sorry I was grumpy in the car mum I was hungry I'm all right now I thought blimey I didn't even notice she was grumpy in the car actually I was that insensitive but (laughs) The fact she was what saying... a great moment. Yeah, it was such a great moment. I thought, oh my God, it's really paid mm, off. The, fact, mm, the number of times I've had to say my bad mm, to her. It's great.
0: Because your book, you know, it's not like these are rules of how to parent. This is a parenting style you could go with. This is just how to be a human isn't it essentially yeah it's how how to be a
1: human it's okay to be authentic yeah it's okay to define ourselves and not the child Mm. it's okay just to have feelings and not have worked out the reasons Mm. and this these are true for life as well yeah Mm.
0: but it does feel like there is a new wave of parenting coming in because I think really we've been
1: sort of parented still in a very kind of weird Victorian way almost. It's almost as though we've had to choose between authoritarian or completely lax. Yes. And what I'm saying is, no, we can collaborate Mm. and we can put our boundary, not where some book says it's got to be, but just before we lose it. Mm. If our limit is where we, I can't cope with this anymore and, and become a bit scary for our kid... We put the boundary down before that. Mm. Now, I've actually got quite low level limits. I was really quite strict about some things. For instance, my daughter would say, oh, I don't like the pasta and the sauce all mixed up. Can you do it again separately? I I get that all the time. I would go, oh, it's a shame. No. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? (laughs) Because I can't be bothered to make it again. Yeah. But I want it. I'm sorry, it's like that, or you'll have to wait till the next meal and yeah. I'll try and get it right for the next meal, but I've already cooked this. Mm. And yeah, sometimes you'll go, I'm not going to eat anything then, where's the crisps? I go, oh no, I'm sorry, no crisps, unless mm. we've eaten that or, you know. Yeah, but you're being honest. You've been completely honest with your kid. Yeah, because I can't be bothered to cook it again. Yeah. And if I do cook it again, it's not me that's, it's not her that's going to lose it, it's me. Yeah. I don't want to build up resentment resentment and now other mothers they're really lovely and they might cook it again and i'm not saying that's a bad thing to do all i'm saying is that's where my limit was so know your own limits isn't know your own thing. limits and put the boundary down before you get there yeah and that usually means i didn't present a whole menu at breakfast or or lunch there was usually one thing to eat and you either ate it or you didn't and mm-hmm. that was it mm-hmm.
0: one area you touch on which again i think is really valuable for parents but also for anybody dealing with relationships um, is body language and the fact that we probably underestimate body language quite a lot. So it can be very useful, I'm imagining, for you know babies and toddlers because it's all body language. Yes. But actually later in life, in noticing how our partner is or how our friend is physically as well as what they're saying, can you yeah. talk about
1: the importance of that? Well, people quite often say to me, what can I say to my teenager when or or and I go, there is not a prescription of words we we just pick up like body to body communication when you've got a little titchy baby and you you haven't got a language but you have got body to body communication hold a baby and their cheek against your neck and the skin to skin contact contact soothes them mm. that is body to body communication and when you're, you've got a tiny kid and you go, I'm going to change your nappy now, even before you realise they've understood words, they lift their legs up in the air to help you. Um, so it's this sort of... What there is before you get words is still an innate turn-taking facility that we seem to be born with, of you make a gesture or a sound and the baby copies you all the other way around. You get into this rhythm of give and take, of notice and response. And I don't think we ever leave, we we never lose it. I've got teenage stepchildren.
0: Yeah. So I'm, I'm dealing with three-year-old, six-year-old, 13 and 17. So we've got this yeah. whole mix of ages going on. And there's always interesting challenges in the day to sort of look at. And I guess with my stepkids who are absolutely good as gold, and we have a Brilliant relationship. The one thing is, obviously, they are on their phones a lot, and I think you notice within their peer groups, and whenever you're with a lot of teenagers, they do find uh, that intense sort of eye contact or connection more difficult. Or even if you're in a restaurant, and they're ordering, and the waiter comes over, and they look at the menu. Oh, uh, I have burger, please, but they can't
1: look at the the waitress. waiter or the waitress. What, what is what's that about? I think it's shyness mm. and getting uh used to being a bit more separate from your parents like actually we just want them to be independent agents and look at waiters and you know, be available for contact for other people. But if you think about it, your little kid has actually been clinging onto your leg for a few years. So you didn't expect them to look at other people then. And then they didn't know about embarrassment when they, or, or not so much. And so they weren't embarrassed. But when you get to be about, you know, 13, 14, 15, you're so embarrassed just just mm. uh, just being alive is embarrassing, <laughs> and the fact that someone might look at you mm. is embarrassing mm. so we just have to remember what it was like for us when we yeah. were teenagers and realize that we weren 't as good as at eye contact then either mm. it
0: 's so true I mean my stepson finds me and my husband excruciating at the best of times yes, you're incredibly We're embarrassing so embarrassing
1: Philippa. Yeah, it's I know. unreal
0: yeah to rein it in yeah
1: you really are <laughs> <laughs>
0: well look, thank you so much for letting us chat today um i was just desperate to
1: pick apart your brilliant book and it's been wonderful thank you so much for reading it so closely and being able to pick up on stuff that's in there thank you <laughs>
0: A big thanks once again to the tremendous Philippa Perry, who I could have talked to until the cows come home. Her latest book, The Book You Wish Your Parents Had Read and Your Children Would Be Glad You Did, is out right now. Next week, we meet fashion designer Alice Temperley.
1: Hi of an age now where I think oh my god people around me are younger and people I'm hiring are way younger than me and I always used to be the youngest and you actually think god I'm getting older and I've only just opened my eyes to how complex so many parts of life are because I've been in my little work bubble.
0: Discover that episode and our entire back catalogue when you subscribe. And don't forget that the Happy Place Festival is coming. It's on the first weekend in August and it'll be at Chiswick House. And the 7th of September, we're in Tatton Park, Manchester. I'm so thrilled to say that guests included who will be talking on the talk stage and doing a live podcast there will be Russell Brand, Dame Kelly Holmes, Joe Wicks, Rylan, Reggie Yates, Katie Piper. I mean, what a lineup! And more. Get your tickets. I'll see you there. Happyplacefestival.com for all the info and tickets. They're a bargain price too. Massive thanks again to Philippa, to the producer, Mr. Matt Hill at Rethink Audio, and to you, blooming Lovely Lot. Thank you so much for listening. And uh yeah, I'll see you next week.